Hi, my name is James, and the Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 107, 1 through 2, and 19 through 22 ESV. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Then he cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Casey Converse. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. The Apostle Paul says... So to keep me from being, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Larry Yonker, and please stand for the gospel reading found in the book of John. Chapter 9, verses 19 through 21. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to, the, to whom he will. The Gospel of the Lord. Remain standing as we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and give us hearts that are soft, that would be good soil for the seed of the Word of God to be planted in, to take root in, Lord, that we won't just be challenged this morning, but that we would be changed. That we would become more like you, Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Well, a couple Sundays ago, we began a short series that will be, end up being a four-week series on prayer, and we've called it The Language of Prayer, and then subtitled it, A Survey of the Psalms, because we felt that we just need a longer title. Um, but, but we've called it this because when I say the word prayer, chances are it, it provokes a number of different responses. First of all, it might provoke uh, the response that says that, that, that is one of guilt. It says, oh man, prayer, yeah, I really should, but I don't. Or maybe prayer, the word prayer kind of provokes uh, the response of despair and says, yeah, I tried that, but I don't know if it matters. I sat with a couple yesterday who's uh, dealing with a very difficult um, medical condition in one of their children, and we, we talked for two and a half hours on, on Friday um, about 
how does this prayer thing work? Does it actually make a difference? Or do, how, how are we participating with God? And we're treading into these mysteries, trusting the Lord. And so maybe prayer can be confusing. Maybe it can be discouraging. Maybe it can feel um, like, a, like a guilt sort of thing. One of the things, unfortunately, that we've sort of heard in church is, well, just pray your heart. And that, it's really a fantastic start. It's a fantastic way to start because there is something innocent and beautiful and, and, and powerful about the rawness of our heart crying out to God, saying, oh, God, help. I think of the person in the temple that Jesus you know, it talks about in the Gospels who's just beating his chest and saying, have mercy on me, oh, God, a sinner. That kind of raw, from the gut kind of prayer, that's beautiful. But we, also, we need a little bit of help as we grow along the way. Because if we only ever just pray from our heart, we're in danger of praying selfishly. We're in danger of praying our own will be done instead of saying to God, your will be done. And how can we agree with you? And so the, 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 the teacher, the language school for prayer, if you will, is the book of Psalms. And, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how the Psalms have been this prayer book, not only for the people of God in the Old Testament, but also for the church. And we looked at all these different quotes throughout the centuries of saying, look, this is how we should pray the Psalms. And, and, and one of the church fathers said, even pr- farmers should, pl- should pray the Psalms as they're plowing their fields, because this isn't for the professionals, this is for everybody. We all need help. And so the Psalms have been just a little bit of a quick survey for us uh, in this series to say what are some of the themes that rise up, that come out of the Psalms. In week one, we did the theme of petition and protest, how we're asking God and how we're kind of almost protesting against God and how both can be pathways into intimacy. And then last week, Pastor Joey spoke to us about the power of declaration in prayer, of declaring the truth about who God is and how that begins to not only change us in the inside, but begins to change the way we see and receive and experience life and our situations. This morning, the theme that's going to emerge as we talk is about thanksgiving. Now, some of you may be familiar with this, but in the Psalms, there are a lot of laments, and laments are a lot of times the people of God just crying out. Sometimes it's a protest, sometimes it's a very, um, uh, almost a very raw protest, sometimes it's a little bit um, calmer, but there are these laments, and the follow-up to laments are often Thanksgiving Psalms. So Thanksgiving Psalms will often have a section that restates the lament, but in past tense. Where else the lament might be, I'm in trouble, how long, oh God? The Thanksgiving psalm will say, you lifted me up out of a miry pit and set my feet upon solid ground. It, it restates the lament. It, 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 he hasn't forgotten about the pain, but he restates it now in the past tense. And he does it in order to say, God, I'm giving you thanks. One of the interesting things about lament psalms is they often have this little section at the end that is sometimes called the vow to praise. Uh, You'll read a lament psalm and says, okay, everything's going bad, but God, I will praise you. And sometimes the I will praise you can be understood as almost a defiant, God, I'm going to praise you anyway. But sometimes it's just sort of a feeble future tense. God, I'm going to praise you. I don't think I can find the words right now, which, you know, a little bit of community care 101 when someone is going through it, 
The thing to say to them is not, hey, can you praise God in the midst of this circumstance? Sometimes the best any of us can do is to say, I will, I will praise you. Not there yet, but I will. Well, the Thanksgiving psalm is a way of saying, okay, God, remember I said I will? That time has come, and now I'm going to give you thanks. So our psalm this morning is Psalm 107. I'm going to read a couple verses, and then I'm going to invite some folks up here. I oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's important to say, God, you did it. You redeemed us, and now we're going to say it. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. Skip down to verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Uh, If you've been around us, New Life Downtown, for a little bit, you know that we're not afraid of the darker emotions, the darker experiences. You know that a couple years ago, we did a a long series through lament, and we let ourselves be put in touch with the difficult questions and and all of that. But I think... (laughs) that there are obviously two pitfalls here where we can only always stay in this lament thing and say, yeah, yeah, come on now, don't get too happy. I don't want to be one of those happy, clappy churches. We need to just be real and raw. I see you've got joy time. Why don't you have sad time, you know? I've actually gotten that email. <laughs> and so there is, a way, there is a way of saying, okay, okay, yeah, let's just... Yeah. But it wouldn't be a true representation of life with God. Because there is a time to mourn, but there is also a time to rejoice. And this morning, it is time to give God thanks for what he has done. Many of you were praying uh, when Pastor Evan and Karen Riedel had their son a few months ago. And many of you, in fact, it went beyond this walls. It was all over the place that people were praying for it. And I think today is the day for them to share the story of baby William, to share the, the depths of it, to share the climb of hope out through it, and for all of us as a church to be able to give God thanks this morning. Amen? So would you please welcome Pastor Evan and his wife, Karen Riedel. Thank you. Hi, guys. Hey. Um, well, there's probably folks here who don't know the story, or even those who know kind of the headlines may not know the details. So would you want to take us through the initial story? Yes. Um, so I was blessed with a normal, uncomplicated, boring pregnancy. Boring is a good word for you to have if you're pregnant. Um, but at 39 weeks and two days, um, and Evan and I had had an appointment uh, the day the before. The day before with the uh, OB. Yeah, and everything looked great. But at 39 weeks and two days, I woke up and realized, I don't feel his usual morning routine, kicking me in the spleen, punching me, all those active things babies do. And so I decided to just wait. And 10 o'clock came. 
still pretty quiet inside. 12 o'clock came, and I started getting nervous. And so I called the triage, which is the nurse's station at the birth center, and they told me, here's what you should do. You should drink two glasses of ice-cold water, which is a lot when you don't have a lot of room in your stomach, um, and lay on your left side and wait for a minimum of six kicks in an hour. So the hour came and finished, and I didn't feel him at all. And so by that point, I was like, I need to call Evan, who was being a good pastor and who was officiating a wedding on that day. And he had thankfully just finished it. And I called him and said, we need to go to the birth center and see what's going on. And so uh, we went there, and they put two monitors on my belly, one that measured his heartbeat and another that measured his movement. And thankfully, the heartbeat showed up on the screen, strong, 142 beats per minute. Whew. Evan and I thought, we're good, we're good. Um, but his movement, they wanted to continue to watch for a while. So we were there 30 minutes, an hour and a half, two and a half hours. Heartbeat was good, but his movement was flat. And that's when the doctor started telling us, I don't think you're going to be going home tonight. And by this point, we started realizing our whole birth plan is going out the window. Yeah. We're going to go natural, have a doula. Uh, I was hooked up to an IV. Um, but so we, the plan wasn't going to plan. And everything that we had in, in line was just going out the window. And it moved from this being, to me, it was, oh, this was a dry run. So I just grabbed some bags, um, grabbing all of the bags except for Karen's, actually, and went to the <laughs> hospital. I'm like, we're going to come home tonight. No worry. Yeah. And then at that point, after four hours of monitoring and having no movement in him, um, they said, we're going to have to induce. We're going to do Pitocin. Pitocin is going to take labor to a 36 to 48-hour window that you will be laboring because of Pitocin and where you're at right now. And that at 36 to 48 hours, they moved us into the birthing room and well, started first, everything going. We, we asked the doctor, we were trying to resist as respectfully as we could. So we're like, what if we just gave you some time? Can we go home, get some rest, wake up in the morning, see what's going on? And she said, I wouldn't sleep tonight sending you home because I would be afraid of you waking up to a stillborn. Which, yeah. like our minds are like, What? Kind of the first sign something serious. Sign. They didn't know. They had no idea what it was, but they knew it was something. And so we, we get into the labor, 36 to 48 hours. 20 minutes into that, they say, he is negative re reacting to the contractions that you're having because Pitocin. We still don't know what's going on, but we have to deliver him right now, emergency C-section. So they rushed us in. They got me all scrubbed up in this big bunny suit thing, and Karen all hooked up to drugs, and do the C-section. Yes. And it was quick. I mean, in 10 minutes, they had him out. And I felt relief, he's out, it's going to be okay, and I could also breathe again. That was huge. Um, but the other thing I noticed was it was silent. I didn't hear any crying, and they didn't show me, here's your baby. Yeah. So I was the curious husband who was watching the whole time, and he comes out and is just white as can be. And they told us actually a couple days later that the official medical records record his physical color to be ghostly white. He was white, he was not moving, he was not crying, there was nothing. And they rush him over in the corner of the, the OR room and they start doing whatever to him. And then with a couple minutes after that, 
Um, they're stitching up Karen, they're doing something to him, and then they're rushing him from that OR room into the NICU. And as they're going out and they're getting all their stuff and they're carting him out, they look at me and they go, Daddy, we're going to NICU. Come with baby or do you want to stay with mama? So I look over at Karen and thank God she was still drugged because she goes, I'm fine. Go be with our son. (laughs) Okay, easy choice right there. So we go back to NICU and he's back there for a few, we're we're apart for a few hours at that point as they're trying to figure out what happened. And at that point, they started realizing that there was blood hemorrhaging of some sort. It's called fetal maternal hemorrhaging. Somehow his blood hemorrhaged out through the umbilical cord into her system. So the blood was found in her system. But because of that, they they measured around 80% blood loss in him at birth, which includes oxygen loss, because that's how you get it. And so the, the fear of brain damage at that point was, was, was great. And so they, they suggested uh, a system that's you cool the internal temperature of the person, and you can do this with adults. They found it because of drowning victims, actually. Those who drowned in cold water would have more preserved brain function than those who didn't because of the coldness of it. So we're going to induce a coma for 72 hours. We're going to put him under... Um, we're going to cool his internal temperature. We're going to give him blood transfusions, platelet transfusions, all of that stuff. And then it's just a waiting game to see how bad it really is. Yeah. You have a picture of that? Yeah, so this is, this is Karen the first time she gets to meet him. That's her little hand. Um, and then when he actually goes into the cooling is the next picture. So that's, that's kind of what he was like for 72 hours. Still not moving. He, he had a feeding tube and, and breathing tube, so he couldn't talk. So no sound, no movement. And at that point, Three days. he couldn't get any external stimulation. So what we could do literally was whisper when we were around him and then touch him with one finger. Mm. So 72 hours, we're all, everybody's praying. We're saying, okay, come on, Lord. And it's this long, incredible wait. Uh, Tuesday. And it's still going down. He was born on Friday. And the journey just kind of goes down into darkness until Tuesday. Because Tuesday is when that end of that 72 hours was. And there's an initial MRI. And we got that initial report that night. And um, it was literally a dark and stormy night where it was like, Count Dracula's castle outside. The windows were shaking because of the thunder and stuff, and it matched the mood. Because what we were being told is it is severe, severe damage. He might not be able to breathe on his own or eat on his own, walk on his own, talk, reason. He'll never have independence, cerebral palsy. On Worst night of our lives, basically. Um. So that was Tuesday. Yeah. Wednesday. So that night, I text up some mentor men in my life and say, I need you here tomorrow. And when can we come? We knew the schedule by then. Pretty much come at 1030 because we'll be ready. So they come at 1030 and we sit in a room. Karen was with William. That's our son's name. And you were just with him. And I got to be with these wonderful godly men and just cry and process for hours and one of the things was that the doctor during that meeting, the initial MRI, when maybe he can't do all of this stuff, she also told us something at the very end of it that you as parents might have a choice. Because if we pull the breathing tube out and he doesn't breathe on his own, you don't have to put it back in. What? Like, how do we process this? How do we process that? 
as a doctor, you're telling us that we might have, in my mind, a choice of life and death. Like, that's God. That's not us. And it was, it was so much that that next day when these men were with me in our room and we were just sobbing, I, I started talking to all the, all the problems, all the worries, all the, all the thoughts that had come across our mind and all the weight that the doctor had seemingly put on us and the situation mm. was putting on us. Mm. And... And it was, in, it was in that time, really just getting to a point where what choice did we have but to entrust not just ourselves and finances and ministry in this part of life, but trust life and death itself over to the Lord. And the counsel that was being given to me was, Evan, you're, you're right in thinking that this isn't your choice, that this is God's, and we have to take a faith that God is our eternal God. He is the one that even if William doesn't breathe, it is God who chooses if he breathes or doesn't breathe. And it is God whom he gets, he either gets to grow up here on earth with you as his parents or grow up in the heavenlies with the heavenly father as his father. Yeah. And you'll see him again, but come to this eternal perspective. See, see this greater hope that we have and just processing off this weight that mm. we could not, we could not bear ourselves. By this point, though, I've come to the conclusion that I'm going to do anything and everything it takes to keep him alive. So we unknowingly are in two completely different places. Hmm. He is ready to release him to the Lord, and I'm ready to fight. <laughs> <laughs> but he comes down after um, talking with Sounds our like a mentors. tough spot for your pastor to be in. <laughs> yeah. Good thing he was there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I saw immediately Evan's whole countenance seemed so different. He no longer seemed weighted down, but his eyes and his spirit just seemed so free. After talking with our mentors, I was like, all right, what did you talk about? And started just guiding me through uh, where you had landed, right. where yeah. you had gone. And, and so in that day, I mean, we, this Tuesday night such a negative report. Wednesday, we're basically surrendering him not over, not over to death, but over to the Lord mm, and yeah. saying, mm. Lord, this is yours. Mm, mm. And we get that day to process and Karen comes and we just face this monster of, of potentially letting him go in the face and just say, it's, it's not that we're letting him go, it's that we're so entrusting everything into the Lord's hands that we, we're taking this faith to this level that we've never had to take it before. And it's that night that we actually, instead of meeting with just the doctor about the, the exam, we meet with the neo-neurologist. His name is Dr. Wong. And he goes through this whole report, and he's showing us the MRI, and he's showing us the EEG comparison. And then he does this physical examination of William, and the whole time he's just going, wow, this is so incredible. Because he's saying, based on the MRI, and this was a theme that we saw for the next two weeks, based on the MRI, we would not expect him to be able to do what he's doing right now. Hmm. Based on the MRI, we would not expect him to be doing as well as he's doing right now. And we get to the end of that, and the last question that we ask him is, Dr. Wong is his name, is, is there hope in this situation? We have a picture for that. And, uh, we have a good picture of Dr. Wong. Yeah. And he responds, and he goes, hope? Yes, there's hope. 
And we just start, there's 10 of us family members in the room, and we start bawling our eyes out because for the first time in four days, we're being surrendered over to the Lord in a way that we've never experienced in life mm. and being told that there's hope in the situation from a, a medical perspective. And, and, mm. and, you know, there's prayer involved in all of it, but the Lord has a great sense of humor that the room that we were meeting in and walking out of, that's the name of the room in the top right corner there. And, you know, we're walking out of this room and for the first time being told there's hope, and then we see this sign on the door and just go, oh. There's so much hope. And so it was the day after that that they did the, uh, the breathing tube extubation. And I thought that was going to be some big procedure. It was literally like... There. So There it is. So that's the doctor. That's Dr. Bazella. She's the one who did the extubation. And she's the one who delivered the really bad news on that Tuesday. And so now we're on Thursday. And she's still telling us, like, okay, so this is the deal. And if I take it out and if he doesn't breathe, I think he will. But we don't know. And this is where you're at. And if he doesn't breathe now... Oh, this was a nice last moment, no, he's too. Not he's not breathe. going to. Like, he's gotten so Ever. strong, he's not going to get stronger. So if he, it's so now it's, or never for this kid. Yeah. Um, and so she, she does the extubation, and that's actually her doing it. I was sitting there with my phone the whole time. And as she's doing it, the nurse leans over to me, this nurse named Lori, who we become friends with, and she goes, check it out, the doctor's crying. And we're like, what? And she looks up with tears when she's done with her whole thing and says... I've done hundreds of these on children and adults, and he didn't miss a single breath. I've never seen anybody go from A to B as smoothly as he just did. And so, <laughs> so that was the first hurdle. I mean, we were told, like, he'd been having seizures. Those had to stay at bay. He had to breathe on his own. He had to be able to eat on his own. He had to go through all this stuff to be able to go home or even after that, to, to do a normal sort of life. And that was the first one. And she, like, you know, this doctor is crying along with us in celebration of the Lord's work. Yeah. yeah. Good. And the next, there were a couple of hurdles beyond that. Yeah. And it, I'm just going to kind of plow over the next yeah, hurdles in that. Sure. That was Thursday. Saturday was the first time he'd been able to eat orally. Um, and it was, a, it was a tube until then. One of their concerns also was with the absence of blood and oxygen. How are the organs going to perform? Are they going to be able to function and process and digest food? And so him being able to eat and digest food is going to tell us, is he going to need a feeding tube or not? So the next day was... And could he eat on his own? And he, been, this is day eight now that he was, since he's been born and he hasn't had that opportunity. And we had a, a doula with us the whole time. And she goes, guys, he's going to be so fine. I mean, one, we're all praying, of course, right? But two, even when he was in this induced coma and this cooling treatment, he was sucking on his breathing tube during that. He's going to be fine. And he gets to mom and instantly latches and feeds. And from there, he switched every day five, seven times a day different between bottle and, and breast, just going back and forth with no problem. Um, just kept, kept going. And the seizures stayed at bay, and we just, he kept on crossing every hurdle, or the Lord kept on taking him past every hurdle that needed to be taken past. And day 18, we finally got to take him home. So there's us with this little car seat, that dream fulfilled, uh, nothing but oxygen and a little bit of seizure medicine, and he's still on the seizure medicine, but not the oxygen. Um, so that's day 18. Day, day 20, so two days after we take him home, we have our initial pediatrician appointment, and we know everything that's going on. First time we've met this pediatrician, she walks in the room, and she goes, guys, I have to admit, I'm, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm kind of shaky right now. Shaky, that's, that's what I want to hear from my pediatrician. Like, why are you shaky? And I just read his file. That is scary. Wow. 
and then goes through the 30 to 45 minute initial observation of him and just does all the checklists. And at the end of that, looks up at us and says, I have to be honest, if I didn't read his file, I wouldn't have known anything that happened based on observing him right now. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And so today, he's, uh, he's just over two months old. I think we have that one more family picture. Yeah, there he that. is, little William, growing, eating, and doing so, so good. Um, that, a lot of what we just shared was a lot of the, uh, the details of it. There is a massive spiritual backing part of it that yeah. we kind of want to get into now. I think we're all in <laughs> awe, you know. I mean, I think... I, 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 I feel guilty at admitting this, but I think when you're in ministry, you're used to helping prepare people for difficult situations. And so mm. you sort of, can I say it? You sometimes don't expect the miraculous. I went to Oral Roberts University. We're supposed to expect a miracle in basketball games. I mean, this is like the thing, you know? But, but I'll be honest. Sometimes you think, God, I, I, this, this is so bleak. Yeah. And all of a sudden, on Wednesday, when things started turning, and then every hurdle, every victory, it's just a, an amazing thing. And I think, I mean, ha, being, uh, there were several of us that, that were kind of with you guys through mm-hmm. some of these moments, and, and I just want to say in front of your church family how proud we are of the two of you, of how you walked through this with uh, honesty and courage and uh, strength, and we're just, mm-hmm. we're just thrilled to be part of your, you know, community. We couldn't have done it without you guys. <laughs> Talk to us, Karen, uh, just from your standpoint, some of the things that you were thinking, what it was like to face the possibility of different, very different outcomes. It was horrible. It was awful. I felt sick all day. Um, but I'm so thankful you guys came and helped us process and wrestle and cry. And... Through the grace of the Lord and the prayers of the saints, we were able to come to a place of thanksgiving. Um, And that you realize William is a gift. And there's no guarantee, but as a gift, we can be thankful for, for every moment. We can treasure every moment with him, even if it's for a few days. But the gift to be his parents for a few days is something to be thankful for. Or if he lets us be his parents for the next 60 years. But he's a gift. Mm. There's no guarantees but um, to treasure that. Mm. But I think the foundation of our Thanksgiving was hope. Mm. And that we have hope in eternity. And that, as you said, if he... Um, isn't, doesn't grow up here on earth, he will be raised in the presence of the Father. And we will be reunited. And so, just realizing that hope and eternity, we will see him again. But also hope and community. From the very beginning, we didn't do any of this alone. And we felt so strongly your guys' prayers and the truth and the grace. You guys were conduits of God to us. You were his hands and feet. and mm. Mm. You were there from the very beginning. We, we never felt alone, and I knew if he went to be with the Lord, we wouldn't be alone. And if we faced extreme disabilities and a kid in a wheelchair, 
you guys would be there with us too. And so hope was um, the foundation of our thankfulness, mm. I would say. That's, pre- that's pretty profound what you said. I mean, the, a hope that carries you even through what humanly we might say is the worst. What if the yeah. worst? And that Wednesday, you know, Ben, myself, we're all sitting there processing with you. What is the worst? And does the gospel give us a hope that is beyond what we call the worst? And if you can see that hope beyond what is humanly called the worst, then all of a sudden we say, okay, somehow, I mean, how profound to be able to say, okay, God, so there is gift in every moment. There's gift if it's a lifetime. There's gift if it's short. Evan, you've talked to me about this whole experiential journey with the Lord and knowing firsthand something now. Yeah. Especially when it comes to healing, but miraculous in general, I think I've just always grown up with the belief that, yeah, God could. And I've prayed and somebody felt better because of their cold or whatever. But nothing of a situation that, that was potentially fatal like this. Um, and, and the movement during it from, from God could to God is um, was, was in the midst of complete weakness, sitting in a hospital room reading prayers from a Facebook wall and, and scriptures that were being messaged into us and, and, and laying witness not that I was so strong and prayed so well with so much zeal that God you know like okay like you did good enough so I'm going to respond and, and give you this healing but in a bigger community that wasn't just New Life Downtown or Colorado Springs or the, even, even the United States like we were getting people from all over the world sending in messages saying, I have never experienced a burden to pray without ceasing, but I cannot stop in this situation. My wife and I are waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning with burdens to pray. We've never experienced a burden to pray like this. We had, it was my brother's father-in-law's friend. Why should she care, right? She calls him up and goes, guys, I don't know what it is about this kid. And you know I'm Baptist, right? I'm Baptist. You know I'm Baptist. We love Baptist. We love, we love Baptist. But I don't, I don't know the theology enough, but she, she knew it enough to say, like, I don't really, I'm not listening for the word. I'm not hearing the word of the Lord like this. But I swear, I have heard him tell me that this little boy is going to be fine, that he's going to be healed, that he's going to walk without limp and talk without stutter. And I'm Baptist. And it's like... And it was... It was in the midst of surrendering everything, life itself, over to the Lord, and then seeing the Lord do something with the community of of the people of God. The Lord teaching people about prayer and burdening people for prayer and Mm. showing us love. And I don't know a theology of when I have no strength being carried through something, but that was this. Yes, yes. and, And just sitting there in a hospital room, with, with nothing and laying witness to the Lord doing so, so much. Abby, if you and the team would come uh, up and just prepare. Evan and Karen, I just want you to speak to us. I, I know that there are people here that are hanging on to the story a little bit because they're facing their own impossible situation. And, and maybe you're on the other side of it. Maybe it didn't, it didn't have the ending um, in the short term that we were hoping for or that you were hoping for. How, how, 
how do you have strength? How do you have faith in the midst of feeling so weak? It's okay to be weak. And God has designed his people to move and work the way he did in all of you. Be his hands and feet. Let, let the people intercede for you. Let them take your heart. I've truly felt like you guys are taking our tears and our hearts and our cries to the Lord. And then you came back to us from the Lord with his grace and his truth over and over, just speaking truth and love over us. So let them intercede for you. Be weak. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I, I, in, I don't know, in so many situations in life, but this one especially, we feel like we had no opportunity to, to be strong. It wasn't that we got tired. It's that we got whapped with a wrecking ball and had no strength in us. And it was from weakness that we were, I don't even know if we were crying. We were existing. But seeing the Lord meet us there, because... Even, even if we were weak, the faith was that the Lord, He, he doesn't change. He, no. he wouldn't change. He was there. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. Yeah. Trustworthy of our lives. Trustworthy of just saying, like, I don't know. And um, I think one of the biggest things, it's this last picture, is uh, it's, a, it's a quote by Corey Tenboom that hit us in the midst of it when we had nothing and we didn't know hope and we didn't know what would be and what was coming. But it's yeah. to never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Mm-hmm. And standing in a faith that says, I might not know, and I'm trusting that life or death, this child is the Lord's, and our mm-hmm. lives are the Lord's. Yeah. But I'm trusting a God who's known and can be known. Yeah. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Karen, for being so vulnerable. And- sharing your lives with us and with this church.